You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We're coming to you today talking about the Arizona Cardinals on their bye week. Uh, my name is Blake Murphy on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. Joined as always by my co-host, the venerable John Venerable. And uh, we're joined uh, for kind of a mid-season recap with our staff writer, Walter Mitchell. He's with us on the call as well. Uh, John, uh, we'll start with you. How are you doing? And then, Walter, it's good to touch base with you as well. Hey, I'm doing well, Blake. Excited for uh, the second half of the season. And we've got a contest this weekend against the Miami Dolphins that, that poses a real challenge. But I, what we've seen from the Cardinals in the first half of this year has been, I think, a, a very welcomed surprise, at least for me, uh, with a 5-2 and two record and certainly with, with a playoff berth on the horizon. Uh, and we're excited to have Walter on the call. Thanks, Johnny and Blake. Uh, it's great to be with you as always. Um, I too am excited about the season. Uh, you know, um, it's an exciting group to watch. The games are fun. They're very competitive. Um, and the energy level, even in a pandemic, I think is pretty high. Um, and Kingsbury's got the guys fired up on the sideline to try to make noise and so uh, spirits are high. I think that, that the players have all bought in pretty much. We're starting to see some veterans start to pick up their play, which is good. Steve Kime called them out a few weeks ago, um, which was a good thing, good move, because uh, since then we've been seeing some improved play from the vets. But also what we're, what's pretty exciting is the vets are learning that um, next guy up <laughs> – is actually pretty good. And, um, you know, the, the youth of this team is emerging. And um, when some, some of the players are going down or um, not playing well, uh, we've seen some young players come in and pick up the slack. So um, I'm very excited about that. I'm very excited about the youth of this team. I de- definitely agree, Walter. The young players that we've seen have come together. I think um, uh, let's talk a bit about the uh, Seattle Seahawks game. For me, I think the most impressive aspect for Arizona is how after a uh, 2-0 and start, a lot of promise, they had all sorts of issues with the uh, uh, the offense and the defense in their next two games with uh, multiple turnovers, uh, overall offensive struggles against Carolina, uh, the defense getting wrecked essentially without Buda Baker. To see the turnaround that they made over the last three games at least has been a, a tremendous job done by Vance Joseph doing it essentially without Chandler Jones, who's probably the uh, uh, the best uh, or at least best known Cardinals defensive player at this point. Uh, really, it's been something that's turned a lot of that season around, and it did change expectations, especially with Arizona uh, taking down what many people looked at as the best uh, team in the NFL, or at least for sure in the NFC in the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, with that thrilling type of a win, Walter, uh, talk a bit about your perspective on that game, uh, how you felt that Arizona did from a coaching standpoint and the players stepping up in key situations. Well, I think in the first half, we... <laughs> 
most of us were thinking, oh, I'm not ready for prime time. Um, it looked like last year, defense couldn't get off the field. But if you look at the plays that Russell Wilson was connecting on, the dude was brilliant. I mean, those throws into tight windows, um, you couldn't place them better. And somehow the Cardinals kept their cool. They, at halftime, probably the most important halftime in the 23 games of Cliff Kingsbury's tenure as head coach because significant adjustments were made. Um, on offense, the, they created more balance and got bigger plays in the second half, um, especially when they need, needed to. They were really clutch. Um, the defense made significant adjustments in um, slowing down Russell Wilson um, and dogging his receivers a little better. I mean, Peterson did a great job on Metcalf. Uh, Fitzpatrick tried like hell um, against Lockett, but uh, they slowed Lockett down a little in the second half, which was huge. And, of course, they intercepted a pass in overtime, headed in Lockett's direction, which was symbolic in itself um, by Isaiah Simmons. Um, the adjustments there were, were really encouraging that they could flip flip that switch and really come back after, you know, what what looks to be as good an offense as there is in the NFL, certainly as great a quarterback. Um, and they confused, they dialed up all kinds of exotic looks and pressures to confuse Wilson. And he's been around the block long enough not to be confused about too many things, but they managed to do it. And I, I, I think we all probably were very encouraged to see that. And then on special teams, I mean, maybe the most important adjustment of the game was Zane Gonzalez getting his swing ready to atone for the miss in overtime, which isn't easy. I was thinking, you know, under other coaches we've had in the past who were really intolerant of kickers, um, <laughs> Gonzalez might have compounded it by missing it. And it was no chip, chip shot by any uh, stretch of the imagination. But you know what? He, he got, looked very calm, got in there, and just nailed it. And uh, good for him and good for the team. And I think it was the most exciting win we've had in quite some time. Yeah, definitely the most important win of the Kingsbury uh, era. Probably the most important Cardinals victory since 2015, if you want to look at it that way as well. Uh, so now with the Cardinals heading into the bye week, they are 5-2. and two. Uh, Right now their upcoming game is against the Dolphins. Uh, we'll get to some of that at least as far as our game preview and try to be able to say, like, you know, a lot of fans are wanting to know what's going to be the ceiling for this team. A lot of people want to know what's going to be kind of the overall expectations for this game. But I want to spend a lot of our time talking about where the Arizona Cardinals have been, who have been kind of some of the studs, who have been some of the you know players who haven't performed according to expectations. For me, I think the central focus normally you'd expect for this team would be on the offense and having maybe an average or somewhat improved defense. But let's talk and focus about how defensively we've seen a huge change in the team from uh, they added a couple of players in the offseason which seems to have allowed Vance Joseph to have a lot more trust and faith to play much more aggressively on defense. And that, to me, is the story of this game because the Cardinals have been, uh, pound for pound, one of the better defensive units in the NFL. I think a lot of people are 
wondering, you know, where was this last year? How much of this was a talent issue, schematic? Um, John believes that Vance has had to kind of step up his game in order to adjust to some of the talent on his team. I think that a lot of it may just be some of players coming together and doing their part and being properly in the right roles. What are some of your thoughts, Walter, on why the defense has taken such a huge leap from 31st to now ranking in the top 10, in some cases top five in multiple categories? Yeah, um, getting players in the right positions was a start. And, you know, when Vance arrived, he kind of, you know, inherited a group of, you know, and he plays a kind of different three, four, but also let's not forget that Steve Wilkes was, had switched the team over to a four, three. So, you know, shuffling the deck and getting, getting a, like Reddick. I mean, Hassan Reddick is now playing the best football of his four year career. And he's in the right spot. I and mean, even Vance Joseph said recently, he's the perfect Sam prototype, what you want the, kind of athlete he is because he can cover he can rush the passer he can set the edge and um you know reddick's 11 tackles and um three quarterback hits on wilson and sack was a huge difference in that game um and that was a carryover from last year at seattle where reddick played was was finally switched over to to sam and and had a really good game in the cardinals upset win in seattle and that was very encouraging to me because from my standpoint, and I still think we need to make significant progress on the other side in terms of contain, but our weakness traditionally as a defense has been on the perimeters, um, you know, because we're weak there tackling um, and we're prone to screens and you know, little flare out passes and reverses and sweeps and quarterback keepers and bootlegs and um reddick for the is the first defender i've seen who really keeps contained and he played he plays russell wilson outside in which is what you have to do which i was so impressed too with byron murphy's sack if murphy had run straight at wilson wilson would have turned the corner and, and, and we would have lost contain instead he played outside he played a textbook um, and I give Vance credit and the Vance for credit for this and the coaches credit for this. The fundamentals of the tackling in the second half really showed up. And that was a huge, huge example because um, Russell couldn't shake him around the corner. And then Russell took a step inside and then bang, um, Murphy was able to take him down. Reddick did the same thing um, all, all game, keeping Wilson contained um, where we got hurt was on the other side where, and I don't, I was asking this today in my thread um, about the newcomers on defense. Uh, you know, I don't know what it is, but Chandler was doing this and Kennard now did it in the other game is every running play. They just come crashing down inside and any offensive coach would look at that and go, Oh, we can run you know, um, a read option all day long. And you have a guy like Russell Wilson. Well, you notice how Russell Wilson ran a read option in the first half and gained like 25 yards because Kennard crashed down. And then 
the question is that I have is, are these guys being coached on that backside to do that? Um, and if so, who then is the contain? Is it the safety? Um, if there is a safety to that side, I mean, they put boot over there sometimes and he's very capable of that. So I, I understand that. But on the play that Wilson took off, there was no safety. So if the, if the um, out, weak outside linebacker is being coached to crash down, the logical contain would be the cornerback. And we don't have corners. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's not a good strategy for our personnel, as, as uh, you know, most people can understand. So we have to get that straightened out. I, I was making a case for playing Garda at um, weak outside linebacker because he's fast and he's aggressive and he could play contain easily. Um, I think when we play slower players there, we tend to get in trouble and we lose contain a lot, which is why I question whether Marcus Golden belongs um, uh, at outside linebacker in our system. I really like him as an edge rusher in the, in the four man nickel rush but i've never seen him in you know be very good at establishing contain in the nfl i'm just not sure he's quick enough um but his strengths are in, in other areas and i like kylie fitz as well i think he's more athletic when fitz came in the game for canard um there was improvement instant improvement Fitz was stringing out some plays and it was clear he was keeping his outside arm free, which is one of the main key things you need to do when you play contain. So I noticed him consciously doing the right things. So uh, I guess they're going to start golden there, which makes me nervous. Um, but I, I would have gone with, I would like to see him go with Fitz or Gardeck. Um What are you guys thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll I'll speak in on that. Well said, Walter. And I think, you know, I mentioned this to to Blake earlier this week that I I just feel like Vance, in certain instances when he's forced to be creative due to lack of personnel availability, um, his the production of the defense is more exotic. It's better. Guys play faster. I think there's a renewed enthusiasm. Um, for whatever reason, that just wasn't there early in the season, specifically from a pass rushing standpoint. And so I, I definitely think that Marcus Golden is bring, is being brought in, not necessarily on a pitch count, but somebody that it's, his clear defined role is, okay, on, on third down or exclusive passing downs, you know, he's going to be somebody along with Reddick that can pin their ears back and, and get after the quarterback. And we've seen Reddick be able to play the role of Sam where he's athletic enough to, to play a little bit of the pass on the outside. He's had a, a couple nice deflections this season, whereas is golden clearly can just beat up on opposing tackles like he did most recently against Philadelphia uh, a couple Thursday nights ago and, and nearly had a, a sack against Carson Wentz and, and, and thrive there. Um, and, and so I, I am not as worried assuming that, Vance doesn't pigeonhole him. I don't think it's going to happen this week with Kennard out, even with Kennard out, because I just don't think he's had enough practice time. I think 
Kylie Fitz, I think they'll they'll have multiple looks to start the game, and I think that that's that's to be expected with Tua making only his second start. You want to make it as difficult on him as possible. Um, my biggest concern is, you know, if if we're going to get a a Jordan Phillips at 100% because you know they they need him desperately with the lack of depth now suddenly on the defensive line. But I think as you see this team mature defensively over the second half of this year, there'll be more defined roles. Um, and I think with Marcus Golden, the, the Cardinals came out of the trading deadline with one of the best value pickups uh, available. You're talking about somebody that had 10 sacks a year ago that is just he's a proven pass rusher. Um, that they otherwise didn't have, even with with Reddick's emergence this year, and I'm I'm very optimistic that he'll continue that. And really, on a pitch count for the Giants this year, playing in only I think like 30% of the, the snaps defensively, had a very healthy uh, win rate against opposing offensive tackles. So, and I think just from a morale standpoint, making a move like that, a cost-friendly move from a, a, a cap draft capital standpoint for a locker room that has now has very real postseason aspirations to say, if I'm Steve Kime, I'm going to go out and make a move to get this locker room energized. And oh, by the way, it's going to be a former player that was beloved in the locker room, still very close with Reddick and DJ Humphreys. And, um, you know, a lot of the individuals that were there under Arians, I think it, it was a match made in heaven. And if, if there's going to be an individual that comes in, that's not going to cost you an arm and a leg that does replace Chandler Jones to some extent, you know, it, they could do a lot worse than Marcus Golden. But again, um, I, I do think that he'll be a situational piece. I do not think, you know, Reddick's playing, what, 80 to 90% of the snaps now, and kudos to him. That'll I, I would imagine that will continue. I think we'll see a healthy balance uh, at the opposite outside linebacker position, especially when Kennard comes back. Um, hopefully he comes back uh, for the Ram game. Absolutely, John. I also feel like as far as Golden's role will go, it depends on if you're looking at him as an additional situational or rotational pass rusher versus taking over as kind of your main pass rushing role with Chandler Jones. We saw a lot more of this, you know, rush four and drop seven things when Jones was in there, and it didn't seem like it was too effective for the most part. There would be times it would seem to work as far as the coverage, but Cardinals would get sacks at times, not as much pressure as we've seen the pressure packages of blitzing from all over the place or even uh, baiting uh, Russell Wilson. And I could even argue at least the week previously um, baiting some of these other quarterbacks into um, decisions that have led into turnovers. I think of uh, Patrick Peterson bailing back to safety against the Panthers was kind of the start of a lot of these different types of uh, different looks and pressures from Vance Joseph. I think that if you're looking at Golden as being in the Chandler Jones role where his main role is to, you know, rush the passer, I think that he can be fine there. It's going to be, like you said, I think, Walter, with as far as containment or other aspects in the run game, uh, I think part of the reason why the Cardinals uh, missed Buda Baker so much is that uh, he's got such great instincts as far as reading the plays and being able to diagnose items that uh, when you look at he can erase things. He's on the opposite side of the field. I believe it was a Carlos Hyde run or on the right side. He goes all the way across field and ends up making the tackle. So my question I think that I'll look at is when you talk about being an eraser and ending that, do we see a change with Jalen Thompson coming back in? 
because if Thompson can kind of fill some more of that eraser role and you can then use Buda as far as in coverage or in more pressure looks, that may be a spot where then you're able to kind of get by with Golden and you can say, hey, like he may give up the edge a bit some, but we'll take that because he'll get home and have a lot more pressure overall. Uh, to me, I think that's the most interesting thing that we'll have to look at is going to be uh, how much of this kind of new adjustment we've seen from Vance Joseph with these blitzes and schemes will turn into, you know, being able to kind of outsmart or fool a lot of these quarterbacks and how much of it's going to be maybe reverting a little bit back to, you know, it's our defensive identity is going to try to, you know, rush for if we can or diagnose looks like we're going to bring the whole house with a double a gap um, disguise blitz or what they call kind of the smoke pressures that looks like it's about to be an all-out blitz and then they drop back into coverage the quarterback suddenly has to make an adjustment and read on the fly so i'm excited to see what the defense will do down the stretch especially since they're going to be going into a tougher stretch of offensive games coming up in terms of playing the Rams twice, uh, the um, talking about going against Kyle Shanahan as usual, the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen are still a strong offense. Uh, but overall, there's going to be some really bad teams that they're going to play, some bad offenses this year. And to me, that seems like the big mismatch coming up ahead, especially when you look at a rookie quarterback in Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, let's shift a little bit of the talk also. Um, unless you have any other comments you want to make, John, uh, the offense for the Arizona Cardinals, it seems, has finally developed and blossomed. Uh, we looked at them to begin the year. It seemed like the all of our talk was how the defense had improved, the offense had not. Currently is where it sits. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals have the number one ranked offense in the NFL. Um, that is something at least that probably exceeded, I think, in a lot of ways what we had looked for or what expected. Uh, it's very much real, and it's also a fact that's crazy as it feels like that while a lot of it came to a head in the Seahawks game, did feel like the Cardinals hadn't really lived up to what we were expecting. Kenyon Drake wasn't the, you know, 1,400-yard rusher some were predicting. The wide receivers took a while to catch on, and uh, it seems like a lot of it has been with Kyler Murray with his legs and the run game and really seeing this passing game blossom over the last few Walter, what have you seen so far with the Cardinals in terms of their offense that has been maybe a bit surprising and maybe a um, a bit as far as what we can talk about not surprising at all considering what we were hoping for with this Cliff Kyler experiment and then acquiring DeAndre Hopkins? Right. Uh, let's start with Hopkins. I'm surprised. I mean, I thought the way they came out against the 49ers and, you know, put instant pressure on the 49ers defense of, of them trying to figure out how to how to guard and cover Hopkins, I thought was the best opening strategy they could employ. It um, my own theory was the reason why they stopped doing that is that Hopkins stopped practicing. And I think there was a little bit of animosity um, there with Kyler. Um you know, Kyler's a perfectionist and he's, you know, really believes in practice. And, you know, I think they lost some of their timing there. And I think just out of like, hey, man, you're not going to practice all week. I'm not throwing you the first pass of the game. I might be wrong about that, but that's the way it felt like to me. It felt like suddenly the only time we're throwing a Hopkins is on, you know, in the screen raid. 
which was really frustrating and aggravating. I mean, that was our offense from last year. Um, you also, what seems so counterintuitive is if Hopkins is legitimately nursing an ankle, why send him into the screen raid repeatedly um, where he's going to take a pounding? I, mean, I don't get that. I don't, I don't like Larry. Except near the goal line where all you need to get is four or five yards. Then it seems reasonable. But um, to send these guys into that, you know, sort of a, you know, mugging once they catch the ball, I think, you know, was, is, uh, is not a good idea. So the fundamental switch changed after, you know, I think some blowback from the media too about the screen raid when suddenly away went the screen raid and in came, let's just take, start taking some deep shots. And even though they misconnected with, uh, you know, Tyler misconnected with Andy Isabella, um, who was open and that was not it. You know, I mean, Isabella overruns Tyler. Tyler's got to learn with him. He's got to throw it earlier. You know, and, and just so he can lay it out there for Isabella. Isabella has had to slow down virtually on every time he's, he's won over the top. Um, people are questioning Isabella's ability to track the football. But, you know, the, the first goals he made, you know, a couple of weeks ago, over the top to Isabella, we're, we're, we're not even online, even close to being online. So I don't blame him on that. I blame Isabella on that. Um, but Isabella is creating a deep threat, and I think that, that the offense needs that. And now Christian Kirk, who caught a textbook bomb from Murray um, in, in the, uh, you know, uh, in the Cowboys game which was so thrilling for him to do it right there, you know, where he was at A&M and, you know, that was just, a, and that, you know, and catching it late as, uh, as Cliff Ginsbury said, he coached Kirk to do so he wouldn't fall down, uh, which was awesome. I mean, that was just a thing of beauty, but I'm always have been a believer that you need to back defenses off last year. It really frustrated me. It seemed like, they played their entire offense in a 20 yard box, which is so easy. And so makes it so much easier. It's like playing down in the red, red height in the red zone, which as we know, you know, it's not easy. Um, when you're particularly when you're trying to convert third and longs. Um, so, you know, but now we're trying starting to take deep shots. And even if they're incomplete, it's okay because, it plants the seed and it backs the defenders off, which now you can get some intermediate routes and, and shorter routes. And, you know, you can set them up again for, for passing over the top. The other thing is, is their commitment to the running game has been um, steady and effective. We're right up there with the top rushing teams in the, in, in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Of course, Kyler's rush has really helped that. And Kyler's, picking his spots very well. Um, and that's an exciting aspect of our offense is that, you know, if you notice that when things go a little off, like he was a little off at the first half of Dallas, what did he do? He decided to turn to his legs, and that was a huge difference. People were ripping him for missing some passes, but 
his overall game at Dallas, I thought was outstanding. Um, you know, the way he used his feet, the way, the way he competes, um, particularly in the red zone. I mean, his inside out moves are Barry Sanders esque. Um, but I, I hope Carlin fans understand this. Everyone's like, well, Isabella's only has 11 catches. He's a bust. And then let's trade for David Njoku. You know, no, 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 no. Let's have some patience here and some understanding with this. First of all, Isabella is pass option number five on our team right now. You got Hopkins at one. You have Kirk at two. You have Edmonds, who's our third leading receiver. Then you have Fitz. I mean, Fitz is hardly getting the ball. Are we calling him a bust? Of course not. But the problem is there's only one football. The other thing is, is we don't throw to tight ends very often. We don't need another tight. I mean, look at Dan Arnold and the catch he made and the contribution he made in the last game. And unfortunately, the game before, um, you know, uh, or the first play of the game to Darrell Daniels, perfectly designed and he doesn't typically drop that pass but he did unfortunately and set sort of a poor tone at the beginning of the game but but we don't throw to the tight ends very often because we have better options but i think we've got in dan arnold a very good receiving tight end and then we have max williams coming back who's going to be an upgrade in the run game so you know personnel wise we don't need more tight ends um we also have jordan thomas who's a budding star, in my opinion, as a receiver. So we've got some de- – and Daryl Daniels had a bad game, um, but he's been really solid and filling in for Max Williams, and he's one of our best special teamers. So the tight end room is set, really, and Isabella is going to get maybe four passes at the most thrown to him a game. And if two of those can be deep shots, it would be great, you know, um, and if he can be used on the reverses and stuff like that, you know, but being realistic, he's just not going to get a lot of action unless, you know, they, they play him more and injuries or something happens to where he gets knocked up to, you know, three, number three wide receiver. So let me hear your guys take on that. Yeah. I, I, I'm excited. I think it's a, we're starting to see Kingsbury open this thing up. And like Tyler said, you know, which was a key moment in this this transitional game, which was sort of a transitional win and a get-over-the-hump win, it feels like, against uh, Seattle. When Kyler said to Cliff, I got you, man. Open this thing. and don't, don't be conservative. Let it rip. And I loved the pass to Kirk at the end to try to win it in overtime. People are criticizing that. The, the uh, NBC crew did. I didn't think it was the wrong move at all because you want to be aggressive and you want to play to win and um Kyler threw it where only Kirk could get it and you know but again it's back their defense off and suddenly we could run the ball so you know when you miss you can still take advantage of um you know being aggressive and the kind of uh, you know kind of deterrent that is to a defense let me hear your thoughts on Johnny on this uh, on this offense. Yeah, and I, I I think well said. I think just with regard to the the Isabella situation, I think it's tough because so many people, fair or not, 
correlate that pick with DK Metcalf and to a lesser extent, all the other budding star receivers that were, you know, scary Terry in the third round, AJ Brown, I know went ahead of, of Isabella, but there were, you know, Debo went in that second round. I mean, we see a glaring admission from a production standpoint from, from really one guy um, of those, of those second and third round receivers. And it's, Isabella now and Nikhil Harry went, you know, 32nd overall and has been a, a major disappointment for New England. So it's not all, you know, completely transparent. But I do think that w- when you couple the fact that he was the player traded for or acquired from the Rosen deal, there's some there's some ideologies around where you, you spin above your capital to trade up for Rosen. You got 30 cents on the dollar with a second round pick. Then you you took a player that by all accounts, I think probably was overdrafted. I know, you know, Blake, you were a fan of Isabella coming out, but I think most people thought early, early third, and the Cardinals took him right at that fringe at pick 62. And when you look at, number one, where he went to school, uh, UMass, just completely off the radar for the, for the casual college fan and certainly casual NFL fan. Nobody watches UMass football on, on a national level. Number two is he's, he's 5'9", 190 pounds. And we are looking at, especially in today's NFL, when you look at the Cardinals, I mean, Kyler is an outlier in terms of his size, but he's an elite athlete. And you look at somebody like Metcalf, and he is a complete specimen, supremely gifted player. And I think a lot of people think, and he went to a SEC, not an SEC power, but he went to an SEC, he went to an SEC university. And I think a lot of people up until this year with 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 regard to Reddick breaking out, people are were tired of the mantra of the Cardinals taking players high from non-traditional power five schools or outside the power five in college football. Then you take this this player at a position in the first two rounds that is undersized that went to UMass, right? And number the first year he can they will not they will not play him the first year when the Cardinals had a gluttony of receiver issues put Fitz off to the side he was losing time to Keyshawn Johnson he was losing time to Demir Bird they had to reacquire Farrell Cooper because he just he wasn't ready to play and no matter what Cliff would would say in the press conference about his maturation process he was getting better the proof is in the pudding of this is a Cardinal team that really was just trying to get better last year and they wouldn't put him on the field. So then you fast forward to this year, they had to go out and trade for a number one receiver. There was thoughts of they could potentially target a receiver in the first round. I'm a big Kirk fan. I think he he's coming along fine, assuming he can stay healthy. They gave Fitzgerald $11 million. And then you've got pick 62 of the draft. That is just a complete non-factor. Now he has, leapfrog Keyshawn Johnson on the depth chart. I guess that's something, but I think just the frustration with, with Cardinal fans is it's compounded with all the other receivers that are doing great things. It's compounded with DK Metcalf in your division right behind him. I mean, DK Metcalf, if you had to redraft that draft is going top five overall, he's a modern day Terrell Owens and you've got what it equates to right now, a gadget player that has shown signs of being explosive but can't for whatever reason get on the same page with his quarterback. And so I was I was a big proponent of moving off of Isabella 
at the deadline or in the in the offseason, just because I feel like if you're Steve Kime and you're in year two now of this, right? And unless you're convinced that he's eventually going to come into his own 800 yards to 1,200 yards on average, because that's the expectation. You're, you're taking somebody in the second round. You're a very good player, solid starting player, and that's a solid starting receiver is going to go f- between 800 and 1,200 yards a, a season. I would, I would have tried to package him in a deal that brought a, a talented player back, and you could just kind of wipe your hands of the whole thing. Blake and I both feel like in free agency or the draft next year, they should take a receiver high to pair with Hopkins and Kirk. Maybe Fitz comes back on a, on a discount. I mean, like the receiver room's not going to change all that much next year. And if anything, it could get, it could become more crowded. And I just think that Kime has done a very nice job over the past two drafts with both acquiring rookies draft picks that are, that are, that are playing well, the Kyler's of the world, the Byron Murphy's of the world, the two defensive linemen he took in the fourth round this year, I, th- I think, have played exceptionally well. I, I think we all feel like Josh Jones. He's the sixth lineman right now. He's going to be a very nice player in year two, year three. Um, you know, the Simmons thing, that's that's a discussion in and of itself. But, you know, fingers crossed after the Seattle game, that that turns out well. They're certainly going to have to play him at some point. You know, the Hopkins deal in the second round, Kime has done a much better job. That compounded with free agency is why this team has turned around. This is a pick, in my opinion. I mean, they were playing Zach Allen before Zach Allen got hurt. Zach Allen's a, a, a starter for this team, and they they were high on him. He was not, he's not a perfect player, but he was playing more than Isabella. I just think in an offense that wants to have three to four receiver sets and, and Isabella can't, can't get the football, I just think that maybe at some point in the offseason, assuming we don't see an explosion in the second half, maybe you just say, this isn't working out. And I know it's early. I know, I mean, he's going to be 24 in November. He's a young guy. He's got two years left on his deal. And this could look horrendous on my end. And I'm not one to not make bold proclamations. I, you know, I have egg on my face all the time. But I just try to read the tea leaves with this whole thing. And every week I'm thinking to myself, could this be the game? Could this be the game? Settle into a role. And I thought after the Lions game, looking good. Let's get on the same page. Couple touchdowns. Um, But it's evident. Like you mentioned, Walter. He's he's their fourth or fifth or sixth option in the passing game. And that to me, six, 62nd overall two years ago in a, in a receiver, you know, fruitful draft and he's not contributing. That is that is disappointing to me. And it's it's easy for me to sit here and say, I didn't love the pick at the time. I didn't. I didn't really want them to go receiver anyway. I, I wanted offensive line help. So I can't be fraudulent and saying I wanted DK Metcalf. But what I can say is let Kingsbury, just like Vance is doing with, with Isaiah, do, do not listen to what they say. Listen, see what they do in terms of their actions and take them at their worth. We just watched the San Francisco 49ers go through something similar with a, a second-round receiver by the name of Dante Pettis, where Kyle Shanahan every week would talk about Pettis improving, we got to get him more involved, so on and so forth. And they've had a gluttony at receiver uh, injuries and either Pettis just couldn't play or wasn't a good fit for them. And they just outright cut him uh, this past week. Now, I'm not saying that the Cardinals are on that trajectory with Isabella. And I do think he has value, certainly, to finish out his rookie contract. But, I mean, at some point, you're, you're talking about, you know, a boom or bust situation where you have to play to get better. And if the Cardinals think you're a liability to play, like, that's a problem. 
and I'll, I'll end this little rant on on the notion that okay, well, we've got these other players that ha- have blossomed recently, like the Reddicks and the DJ Humphreys, and you know for whatever reason it's taken them well into the rookie deals to be able to do that. Well, everybody al- already assumed Humphreys could play, just couldn't stay healthy. Reddick's situation, he was playing out of position, multiple coordinators. This was a player that Kingsbury and Kime wanted, and this is we're 18 games in, 19 games in now, and he's just he's a non-factor for a team that we talk about it every week. Like, where are the other where's the production coming from outside of Hopkins? We need to get more consistency from the Cardinals second and third receivers. And we're just not seeing it. And so I I want him to do well, certainly not rooting against him. But I just think that he's an easy target for a lot of different reasons. The Rosens, the Metcalfs, everything else compounded with it. And I think Kime has just done a, such a marvelous job reshaping this roster and during the last couple of years. I mean, like, I, my, my notion I wanted to float out there was why not take Isabella, take some picks if Quentin Williams was, was available, which it, it turns out he wasn't, and package him, send him back to the East Coast, give – you know, Trevor Lawrence, a, a weapon for the next couple of years, see if they can, they can utilize him differently. Um, but I, the way, in my opinion, this is trending outside of an explosion. In the second half is you're going to have a player that is either going to be dealt for a day three pick, or is just, just ended up not going to work out and you don't hit on every pick. And it, again, it was close to the end of the, the, the second round. And I'll give Kime some leeway as we had no idea what Miami was going to do. And the fact that he was able to get a second round pick for Rosen at this point is, you know, historic in and of itself. So I, I can, I just sympathize with where the fans are coming from, but I'm right there with you, Walter. It doesn't make sense then to trade picks and get somebody like David Njoku, who himself has been a disappointment. I, I like that they stood pat after the golden acquisition. I think that they've got a lot of young talent that's emerging and I do think like they're going to be able to go out if they want a receiver next year and get one to have him come into the rotation and contribute. They can do that. They, they don't have to spend a first round pick on a receiver to do that. They can go get a Robbie Anderson and Emmanuel Sanders type player in free agency to pair with Hopkins and Kirk. If Fitz isn't back, they can get a second or third round receiver that comes in and contributes immediately. Isabella busting, so to speak, if he does bust, is not going to derail this team's momentum. But I think it's just... It's just disappointing to this point. Hope it changes, but, you know, right now not trending that way. Yeah, I just want to, you know, counter that a little bit. Um, I I think you're making cogent points. Um, You know, it would be – he's Isabel is still our fastest receiver. He's got legit 4-3 speed. And – Plus now he's, if you notice, his um, his cuts on you know, his routes are razor quick right now. Um, he is making a lot of strides. Whether he's just not getting the targets that you know, I think he'd be a huge threat around the goal line. You know, his outcut is 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 you know, cat quick and. Um, you know, but he's, he's an NFL player for stretcher. sure. Yeah, he's a field stretcher. And like I was saying before, even if you miss him deep a, a, a couple times, it opens the running game and the intermediate passing game up. And it makes it actually easier for Fitz to get some touches. Um, and Kirk, um, 
you know, Kirk is, is sneaky and he can get deep, but he's, I don't view him as a consistent deep threat because anyone who pushes him seems to be able to handle him. Um, whereas Isabella goes right by people. But Kyler hasn't yet quite clicked with Isabella on the deep passes. As I was saying, is I think Kyler, once he gets comfortable throwing it earlier and up there for Isabella, I think they're going to connect on, a, on some more home runs. And I'm still waiting for the day when Kyler's on a scramble. And we haven't seen this yet. And Kyler was brilliant at this at Oklahoma. When Kyler's on the move and looking downfield, one of these days there's going to be a deep connection. And, I, and I, I would imagine that Isabella could be that that guy who just, you know, is, just gets behind the defense and, you know, 50 yards downfield and ba-boom, uh, there's a connection and there's a home run there. Um, Isabella backs people off and we need more receivers like that because otherwise we're pretty slow. I mean, Hopkins isn't very fast, although he's a brilliant, um, slippery route runner. Um, and I just keep throwing the, the rock at him as much as we can because he's just so good, um, but not on screens, um, but on regular routes and make them tilt their safety over to him where we can open up things on the other side. But, you know, Fitz, Fitz has lost a step and, and Christian Kirk can beat press coverage deep, but with Cushion, he hasn't shown um, that he can – you know, he's got that type of quality speed where he can get past people. So I see his value as being important on the team because we don't have anyone else like him. Um, I was hoping this kid, Jojo Ward, would be a factor because he's pretty quick. But I think looking at his game, he looks more quick to me than, than blazing fast. So we need a field stretcher. And I kind of like where Isabella is right now. I think that you know, he's growing and he's kind of carving his niche as a fourth, fifth receiver. But um, when he gets more of a chance, I think he, he could deliver. Where I think at least I kind of agree with John in some aspects is we have not seen the nuance from uh, Isabel. And, uh, John's going to be heading out at least for that one. Uh, I don't know if you've already logged out or not, John, but uh, he's going to have to get going uh, for right now. Uh, what I agree with, yeah, by John. What I agree with, I think overall with you is, as far as being a field stretcher, I, I, if I had to make a comparison, I think what we're seeing at least is in some similarities to last year with the Cardinals' defense, as far as schematic fit in other areas. Um, and this is going to be kind of sound a bit harsh, and I don't think it's nearly as um, bad. But I think that some of the guys in the roles that they've been currently established are not fully into the roles that they have set. Uh, the way I would at least look at it is, you know, a lot of people came into the season expecting the likes of uh, Christian Kirk to kind of be one of those, you know, some people said, hey, he may be like a, you know, 75 uh, catches for, you know, 900 yards type of guy. And, and instead what we've seen is he's been much more of a two catches for or two or three catches for 80 yards against the Cowboys with that one long bomb and five catches for 37 yards against the, um, uh, the Seahawks. The real number two receiver on this team as it currently stands, is Chase Edmonds. Chase Edmonds, as far as what we've watched, has been fantastic in this kind of passing role. When if teams are going to blitz Kyler Murray, 
he's been kind of that guy who will catch the ball, make a guy miss in the open field, pick up a first down, as well as being able to run routes in these five sets. And we got to see him catch seven balls for 87 yards against the Seahawks. And he also, as far as the runs that he had, was just as effective. He averaged 11.6 yards per carry. Uh, whereas what we saw with Kenyon Drake, the, the Seahawks are a phenomenal rushing defense. Now, some of that obviously I think comes to schematically there was the Seahawks were back playing the pass Cardinals in a lot of ways. Part of why their rushing attack has been so effective is that it's a simple numbers game. They look and say, Hey, Seattle's backed off preparing for a pass. We can run it, pick up 15 yards here or so versus, you know, taking a, 15-yard shot against uh, a coverage that may get knocked down or is trying to essentially prevent passes from happening. So I think what we've seen, and this is part of what we learned from last year, Walter, is um, we saw that Kyler, when he ran the football last year, would seem to wake up the Cardinals' offense at times when it was sluggish. There was probably a demand that I know John and I for sure had for more designed runs to be able to say, hey, he's not getting these hits out here like a Lamar Jackson, like an RG3, let him run it a bit more. And what we've seen a lot of is, you know, Kyler has been much more of a uh, down feet, downhill runner, you can say, versus, you know, he's not like one of those east to west type of guys. He gets the edge. But we wanted to say, hey, we need to see more of these type of design runs. Instead of that, what we've really seen is he's improved a lot in terms of scrambling because he's gotten more confident and a lot of it also, I think, is teams have played it differently as far as, oh, okay, he can beat us via the pass. <laughs> so they start sending, like we saw from the beginning of the season with the Niners game, they go out and blitz him or send guys there. He will be able to take off. And the way that he operates, you know, you got a guy who's on him. There's another receiver behind him. You either go and tackle Kyler or you go and cover the receiver. And Kyler's done a fantastic job, at least, of making defenders have to account for that and Sometimes simply just beating guys with the sticks. It's it's rare to have a NFL player who can pick up a third and 17 with his arm or with his legs. And that's something that I think we've seen with how the NFL has changed. It's, it's, it's an 11-on-11 game now. And we've seen the Cardinals improve their rushing attack from about 5 yards a carry to 5.2 yards a carry. And I think that a lot of that is due to Cliff understanding that, hey, this is how I'm going to play the game. We've seen, you know... Uh, people like Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes even been able to lead their teams in rushing a lot. I think the second thing that I know you mentioned this, Walter, with the deep ball, I think that's one of Kyler's strengths. And the last few weeks, we've seen a huge improvement uh, in terms of the Cardinals being aggressive and attacking deep. We had two deep shots pretty much the whole game against the Washington football team. It seemed like it died against the Panthers, where the Cardinals had a very low yards per attempt average, did not push the ball downfield at all. And it seems like that's come back, and that that's one of Kyler's biggest strengths. And then the, uh, the last thing that we've seen overall that I think has been huge has been the adjustment that they've made to both the offensive line and also, I think, Kyler in terms of scrambling or mobility there's just a different comfort level that's been there that we've seen developed as far as he knows where guys are as far as for being able to bail out. He's not often being this guy who runs back, you know, 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage, extending plays. Cardinals have the lowest number of sacks given up in the NFL right now. 
And I do think a lot of that is due in some aspect to Cliff recognizing, hey, we can spread guys out and run the football. And if teams are going to blitz Kyler, we've got options for that. A lot of it does come down to Murray, I think, especially being able to utilize those legs, being able to utilize a adjustment to the game. Where I think that the Cardinals next step, and this is something you talked about, Walter, as far as taking those shots is, I think that there's still some guys who are not in the best possible positions. You mentioned Fitz. I agree with you. He's not moving like he used to, and he does look like there was a Fitz that we saw from 2000 and probably 2004 to, I would say, about 2000 and maybe 2013, maybe 2012, who was that dominant alpha receiver, and then kind of turned into more of this possession and length lengthier career guy under Bruce Arians, which I, I do think has extended his career. Uh, and he was kind of that type of big slot slash blocking tight end. Uh, you could kind of say uh, receiver and he'd still catch, you know, four balls for 67 yards a game or so. Occasionally you'd have a, a big hundred yard game this year. We're seeing him average about four catches for 29 yards. And it's an important role. He's got some of like these clutch third down possessions that, He's the guy you go to on that down. He makes the catch. But we're not seeing at least the the type of impact outside of those situations. I think that when you're looking at Christian Kirk on the outside, I think you're totally right. And he can beat some press coverage. But a lot of those passes that we're seeing look like like the uh, Cowboys game in particular, I think, stands out. Uh, Andy Isabella goes to Christian Kirk and says, hey, we're running this play. You're going to catch it 80 yards for a touchdown. These deep balls are being schemed in, and we're not really seeing this dominant outside uh, presence from Christian Kirk. And I think a lot of it is the Cardinals are, in some aspect, not attacking as much over the middle. We've seen a couple of interceptions. I think Kyler is a better boundary thrower. We've said this before. And I do think that in some regards, that also is the fact of with Fitzgerald being in there and the Cardinals liking having tight ends in there. I do think that there is going to be some type of element of if you put Isabella into some of that role and, you know, he's still developing nuance. I do think that there is some impact that you'll see. And I, I agree with you, do in some aspect, it does feel like that this is kind of a Cardinals team that is looking at the likes of Larry Fitzgerald and other stuff. And I think that you could probably argue, hey, next year, if they do move on from Fitz and suddenly you have another receiver coming in and you've got Kirk and Isabella working out of the slot in these five wide sets or these uh, 10 personnel sets, or even if you say, hey, we're going to have it where, you know, there's uh, having Dan Arnold being able to move into some of that spot, still keeping a tight end in Max Williams there. I'll be very curious to see the impact that he has I think that that in some cases is going to be a great fit because you're going to take a guy who's not really able to move at the same rate he was anymore in Fitzgerald and now you're suddenly putting in a 4-3 deep threat who teams are going to have to give a lot of cushion to and as I think we've looked at through the team Walter when it comes to the yards after a catch Hopkins seems to have been the best player for that overall Chase Edmonds is probably the second best. Isabella, so far, if we take a look at stuff, he's probably been the third best guy in terms of yards after the catch. Kirk has not been really a tackle breaker, and with running these difficult outside routes, I feel like he's kind of in this Michael Gallup type of role when he's not really a Michael Gallup type of player. What are some of your thoughts, at least, on with the way that the offense has been schemed up? Do you think that this is similar to where we're just – not utilizing guys in the best spots. And to me, what's crazy is Cliff is still such a good coordinator. 
And Kyler is so good at being able to essentially utilize his legs to bail himself out of either mistakes or other issues that we're still seeing the Cardinals with this number one overall offense, despite the fact that really, I think if you looked at other NFL teams, you could say they've probably got a lot more offensive talent overall. It's just that Arizona, for the most part, their talent they have at quarterback and in terms of with a lot of this play calling we're seeing is just able to beat up on any defense that, you know, isn't the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. Uh, I'll start with Fitz. Fitz's value for the Cardinals right now is he's still a zone breaker um, and always will be. He could be a zone breaker at 50 years old um, and he'll be in shape at 50. I guarantee it. Um, uh, and we need that because uh, the number of teams are worried about Kyler running, they're playing zones. So that's why we see Fitz catching, you know, a lot of hooks this year in gray areas. That's kind of been his, his forte. Um, some out passes uh, when the flat, flat is vacated. Um, I still think they could pop him on a sideline pass every now and then, like they did last year. And it'd be interesting to see him run more crossers, um, you know, uh, to the opposite sideline. But uh, you mentioned something that I've been fascinated with, and I think you're 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 onto something. If you notice the the bombs, the three longest passes of the season um, have been to Isabella on the deep shot to the left and um well actually the two longest isabella and then on kirk's bomb but if you notice where did they catch those balls from in both cases it was from the slot and i think that's where these guys belong imagine the two of them in the slot okay so first of all imagine running meshes with them crossing them with their speed and quickness right i mean and then rack ability i mean if, if you rub them off in the middle and one guy springs open they're off to the races um you know and i think out of the slot they get more touches um i don't think i think kirk is miscast as a wide receiver i think he's a he's a i i always felt coming out of a&m that's what his value was was as a slot and I heard him earlier in his career sort of fashioning himself as more of a wide receiver. And I thought, uh, that doesn't feel right to me. Um, you know, like you said, his box score, you'll see three catches for like 54 yards or something. You'll be like, Oh, okay. That's impressive. But if you notice, um, the most attention he gets is whenever he lines up in the slot. Because here's the other route that they can run from the slot is the wheel route um, and get deep that way um, with a complementary route from the outside, like a, a slant in, rub off on a fake out pass and then up the sideline on the wheel route. Um, so I think it would be nice for the Cardinals at time to give Larry a, you know, a break and put in um, Keyshawn who's the best talent on the team nobody knows about yet. Um, that kid is really gifted. And put him opposite um, 
Hopkins, you know, it's the two wide receivers and play Isabella and Kirk in the slot. And whoa, I mean, the team just got faster and more dynamic right there. And I think it would open a lot of things up and the deep shots would be there. And also think of it this way, Blake, if you're the free safety and you see Isabella and Kirk in the slot, and your coach has been saying shade Hopkins, you might be thinking twice because, you know, um, that speed is something you have to, you know, reckon with. And if you shade Hopkins, the guy in the opposite slot could be going deep all day. So, you know, I, I'm fascinated by that. I think I'm glad you brought it up and uh, I'd be very, I think this kid, Jojo Ward would be a great slot too. Um, when, once we get our, our, you know, a good look at him and it just strikes me that, you know, what we're starting to see from the Cardinals youth is that for the lack of the preseason is when these guys are finally getting their chances, like Dennis Gardeck, you know, suddenly we're like, Hey, they're pretty good. I mean, Kylie Fitz, he's a pretty dang good. I mean, I saw this in just out of the drills they were doing for outside linebackers. I loved his feet in, in the preseason, in the um, training camp. And I thought, oh, wow. I went through some of this tape. Um, Utah. Uh, you know, great. Like Gardick, they both have really good motors. And Gardick's fast, you know. And, um, and Fitz can turn the edge, but he also can bull rush. So can Gardick as it turns out. So, but when we're, we're seeing now, when we saw Tanner Baio, I mean, he had the best feet of any of the linebackers I saw during the, during the drills. I mean, I'm just drooling over those feet. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, and I noticed the times he was playing last year and thinking, you know, he had a really good game against the Browns until he got hurt um, and scored. I think he had like a 92 PFF grade in that game. Um, just and he closes on the ball faster than any linebacker we have. So, you know, there are guys in the background here who, you know, if they're given a chance more to play, you know, uh, and then finally getting Simmons on track, you know, there's a lot of, and then now that they've got Devonte Bowsby, who's Simmons's um, workout buddy during this off season, the two of them, boy. A lot of speed in, the, in that grouping. I mean, Bowsby has got 4-3, maybe even 4-2 speed. <laughs> he ran a 4-2-2 at his pro day um, with the wind at his back, reportedly. So they put an asterisk next to it, but still. 4-2-2, uh, under any circumstances, is cooking. So I'm, 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 I like the way Steve Kine, you know, looks for talent and adds it in um i just hope they give these guys more chance to play and better better looks but with your kyler just think of it this way i'll just wrap the receiver section up with with this thought you know there's pressure on you as a second year player a you got to feed hopkins that has to be top priority you know you got to, you know you got an all pro wide receiver. You can't ignore him. 
And in some games, he has ignored him some to the detriment of the team. I mean, I'd still I'd start every game throwing to him and see how teams want to try to defend him, um, and then keep coming back to him as parts of the game and and you know go to him two three times in a row. Um, but then you have, you know, Kyler has his best chemistry with Kirk, and those two. You know, Kyler's in with the, those three amigos, Kirk, Sherfield, and um, and Edmonds. I mean, they're all workout warriors, and they're all thick as thieves. And they're these. It's the youth of this team that's really bringing the work ethic, the dedication. I mean, these guys are like just they get it. They're they were pros when practically they walked on the field as rookies. Because they knew how to work hard, they knew how to get after it, and Kyler's like this too. So he and Kirk have developed, and of course they played together at A and M briefly. The best chemistry Kyler has, other than with Hopkins, is with Kirk. But you know, so he needs to develop it with with. But then you got Fitz, and then there has to be pressure there, right, Blake? I mean, you know, the guy's chasing a dream. And he's not going to catch Rice catching two balls a game. I mean, and in some ways, I mean, Fitz is awesome. I mean, he never, you know, would want anything else. But in some ways, Fitz adds a pressure that I wonder is, you know, counterproductive at times. Just from the fact that you want to keep him happy, too. Although Fitz has been great, you know, he's like, hey, I'm happy no matter what, as long as we win. And Fitz has said all the right things. But I would just, at times, give Fitz a break in the game and, and you know, try to develop Isabella and Johnson a little more, give them a little more touches. And as you said, you know, keep feeding the, the rock to Chase Edmonds, who um, who is a, a complete K-Raid back. He does all three well. He runs smooth and silky and hits the hole quicker than anyone we have. He's a nifty, gifted pass rusher. You can line up in the slot even. And, man, he's a stick-your-nose-in-the-beehive kind of um, pass protector. If you notice him picking up blitzes, he's the best we have there too. Yeah, Walter, I would definitely agree with the um... – schematic with chase i I honestly feel like that it's good to get chase more involved i've uh, differed a little bit in terms of how involved i feel like that right now he's like you said he's the perfect cade raid back in the perfect role i feel like that you shouldn't necessarily say great let's go and run him into the ground versus looking at how his role and the touches he's getting like i would say if I'm the Cardinals, I look at how you took a look at Kenyon Drake, who is still averaging, you know, about four yards a carry, despite the fact that it wasn't quite the explosive uh, explosiveness we saw from last year. We finally got a glimpse of that in the Cowboys game. Uh, it seemed like that a lot of it came down to use a high-touch guy. He needed to start running more north-south. I'm glad that he's coming back, at least from the injury, because in my opinion, you want to keep Chase as far as being – in the role that he's in for a long time. I would look at bringing in another back, whether it's on a rookie deal, whether it's seeing what Eno has, or uh, being able to have one of those guys who can take a lot of these big kind of power hits, punishing some linebackers. 
give a guy that type of a role. Let Chase be kind of a guy who's with you long term to be utilized in kind of that pass catching role. And I think that would be my take um, as far as, hey, after this season, you, it's not going to cost a ton to extend him. He's not going to be a Dalvin Cook or even a David Johnson as far as these workhorse backs. I think that that's a great role from what I think at least is also different. I'd say is my one concern I've had with Keyshawn is while he is a great route runner, I think that as far as the athleticism that's outside and maybe some of this is Kingsbury needing to change his approach some uh, as far as trying to run more guys with routes over the deeper middle or having a bit more of a change to where he's running guys outside. I could see, Dan Arnold being the guy who comes in and suddenly is able to get more play. We saw a huge catch for a deep pass in the Seahawks game. We also saw how well he was utilized. I think part of the issue has been you don't have the best blocker while you've got the likes of uh, Daryl Daniels in there compared to a Max Williams, which means you're going to have to leave Dan Arnold in, who had a uh, some great blocks that we've seen overall. It's not necessarily his forte, but he's more talented there in that regard, and I think that he's that mismatch weapon you want to look for, and he's been in a great aspect of being able to make, you know, at sometimes it's two catches a game. It's been more of the Seahawks game where you look at how he had uh, two catches for 57 yards. He's the guy I think that you can probably get more involved now being able to shift to some of that. Uh, I loved how Fitzgerald, he still had eight catches for 62 yards. They went to him down the stretch. I still think that he's got a valuable role on this team uh, overall. Uh, the, that's kind of the spot, at least over in the middle, that we've seen is how the Cardinals with Kyler, they're still developing in that regard of being able to be these, uh, you know, this type of boundary uh, offense that is still developing over the middle. Uh, to me, Arnold, like you said, or putting Kirk over the middle as far as in the slot, like you said, that to me I think is the big transformative effort. And it's part of where I may take a loss on this is uh, I wanted C.D. Lamb because I felt the Cardinals needed a second outside receiver that you could push guys into the slot. Well, Lamb's been playing in the slot full time. I, I we'll get into some of the different uh, kind of needs here in a, a quick uh, a quick second before we kind of preview Miami. Uh, but I wanted to focus on the other big name as far as a young player. And to me that is Isaiah Simmons. We've kind of had a lot of people have bandied about or seen like questions in other cases. It seems like Simmons is kind of the guy that Cardinals fans are talking about or wondering if there should have been someone else taken very similar to how Andy Isabella was kind of looked at and seen. And I think, like, I agree with you. I think that Isabella and Simmons are on a good track. Um, I think that the biggest thing is we haven't seen that same instant impact we were hoping for as far as for the snaps that Simmons had. But with that interception that we saw with him coming in for injury, with some of that play that we made, that was essentially the play of the game. We'll see how much more he plays down the stretch. I think it really depends on if he's going to blossom into that same type of role that Devondre Campbell plays where he's not the Mike linebacker. He's not that guy who's having to, you know, make these hits up the middle or being able to be that guy who has to, um, you know, be a player that really has to make this type of judgment calls or decisions without having to use his athleticism as much versus a guy who's able to match up in coverage, be able to, you know, be moved around at a linebacker spot. We've kind of been able to see Campbell take on a whole new role in that regard, which has allowed Hassan Reddick to do what he does best. And 
rush the passer. I think if Simmons moves into that role and transitions, and I think that may be the plan for him, I think that will be a great spot for him. My concern is if he's not able to develop in that spot, suddenly you're going to be like, hey, we've got a guy who was used similar to, you know, a Buda Baker, a Tyron Matthew, and an edge kind of presence, at least as far as blitzing in college, who is not being used as much in that role in the NFL. That kind of would be, be my concern of, hey, you may have to find a DC who can use him in a different way versus just a situational type of role. What are some of your thoughts, at least on Simmons, and what do you think of so far from uh, the limited snaps that we've seen, which uh, fortunately for him have seemed to have been pretty high leverage or high impact snaps overall. Yeah, he's looked good to me. I love him on the field. Um, you know, I'd like to see him get in a more aggressive stance. It looks like he's thinking too much, like Hassan Reddick tried to, you know, commiserate with Simmons a little. Um, because that those inside linebacker positions are just thinking zones. Um, there's a lot to think about. And in, in, for a great athlete like Simmons, that can be very restrictive um, for playing free and easy. But if you notice his big play, he ran a textbook diagonal um, drop to the seam from the A-gap and looked like he was the receiver on the play and just noticed his hands were just, you know, Velcro. And it looked like a tight end, like just, you know, deluxe catching the ball and made a natural transition to move the ball downfield. And had not DK Metcalf been there again, um, he might have been able to get 20 more yards out of it. Um, but, uh, it's a real conundrum because, you know, I, if it were me, I'd play him on the outside, not on the inside. Um, I think he could be the, you know, a quintessential, um, you know, bandit outside linebacker opposite Reddick. Um, be fantastic in that role in the base. I, I don't think he'll be a, you know, a, a, a edge pass rusher in a four-man line. Um, but but the transition is now you put him at nickel linebacker, you know, in, in sub-packages where, where he is brilliant. He can play the slot. He can play the middle. He can spy. He can blitz up the middle. You know, that's where he's made to order immediately. Um, you know, I still don't understand why they have Jordan Hicks on the field in nickel um he just not as has looked himself this year i have a theory that he and chandler might have thought that for sure that there wouldn't be a season this year because neither one of them seemed to come back in decent shape um for their standards as, as it were um and um and it just show i mean i think mentally they we're always trying to catch up and get get in shape or something um fix is getting a little more aggressive of course now he's got some pressure but he also is injured um apparently um although they haven't really said you know i think it's an ankle or something um but i predicted a while back because he was out of shape he was going to be injury prone 
um, especially playing every snap on defense, which I really at this point do not understand when you have a world-class athlete to, uh, who, who it would be as good as any nickel linebacker in the NFL because he's got all those qualities in Isaiah Simmons, right? Um, and I love the thought of Simmons and De- Devondre Campbell on the field at the same time. Um, I mean, would love to see that. Um, and I really like Tanner Vallejo and what he did in that. He was a game changer in that game, making the two best downhill tackles on the football we've seen from the inside linebacker position all year. So, but with Simmons, you know, I had this dream scenario where he and Byron Murphy could play, could play, um, you know, off corners and we could become the, the, the legion of as boom um, with, you know, Buddha and Jalen at safeties. I mean, all four are, are ballers, and you could go back to those Seahawk tapes and we could, you know, with Simmons, who would, he was a great zone <laughs> yeah. player too, underneath and Campbell. I mean, suddenly you could play a more steady diet of zones. I just don't think, you know, and I think at times they could come up and press the physical. Um, both of them love to tackle. Um, I think they're made to order in that role. I, I, that's a dream scenario for me. What you know, I know that a, a fan of yours and, and ours chimed in and asked if we would talk about you know who's coming back next year. Uh, I don't know if you saw that, um, but on on Twitter, um, Menino and Murray was like um, said uh, players that may come back after the season and players that might leave. When you ask what kind of questions would you like us to ask? Um, and I, I think, you know, it leads me to always back to Patrick Peterson. And it's always been, well, we never have anybody else. And, you know, that to me is getting tired of, of an excuse. Um, I mean, Patrick's played well the last couple of weeks. But he's got that faucet that we've seen for a year and a half. Is he turns it on and he turns it off. And at this point in his career, especially in, with contracts coming up, that is a red flag to me. Um, and he's still not, you know, I think he's, you know, that, that touchdown to DK Metcalf on the hitch pass. If that was Murphy or Simmons playing the corner there, they would have come up and forced it. I mean, Pat did the old Fred Flintstone whoop, 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 beat. And then got easily cut blocked by Tyler Lockett. And, you know, suddenly now Metcalf's winning the game. And thank goodness um, Kevin Peterson made an effort to get out of the hold for Moore, the wide receiver, David Moore. Um, Otherwise, we'd be, you know, lamenting this game and the opportunities they missed. Um, So, you know, that's why I say we do have two people. We have, if we want to, we could convert Isaiah Simmons to, you know, plus Simmons can play the slot in nickel. So you can still come in and play the inside on nickels, but you could play him on the boundary in base. And God, that would be so exciting to me. Um, 
You know he's going to hit people, and you know he's going to be athletic. And I think he could be free and easy playing in that role. Um, Bucky's got great deep skills because of his time at free safety. So I don't know. I mean, I, that may be out of the line, out of the box thinking, but you know, I do not. I see a similar um, force fit at weak inside linebacker as I saw with Buchanan and Reddick. I, I just don't see him being happy there or, you know, hanging in there, having the sort of instincts and, you know, overthinking that goes on in that position, I think we're going to stifle him and take some of the joy out of the game for him. Yeah, I can see that definitely, Walter. The thing that's interesting to me about Patrick Peterson is that I think the Cardinals are in a spot where you see how he played against the likes of DK Metcalf and more physical guys, and then you see how Peterson struggles a lot more with some of where the NFL is going with these smaller shifty receivers. I think that Tyler Lockett in some cases is just that good of a player where you can say, hey, this was almost this is almost perfect coverage by Peterson, and he still made the play. Um, to me, I think that's where the benefit of having Peterson at least is when you do see how he gets up and plays some of those guys and you look at how the Cardinals effectively do have the ability to control him as far as contractually. Uh, what I look at is I think Walter is I think that when you're talking about extending him for a long-term deal with where his play has been, where you are seeing the Cardinals going, I think that you have to be able to make sure that uh, you have to get something for him. I would say more than just say, uh, you know, letting him walk to another team as some are talking about um, because of that ability to shut down some of those top guys, whether it's in uh, the playoffs, you're going to face a Michael Thomas. That's not the spot you want for Peterson. But when you're talking about the likes of Metcalf, uh, he's been torching just about every single team this season, except for Arizona. And part of that, I feel like that I'd be curious to see a Simmons outside experiment. I think that's where I would love to see a defensive coordinator who could be able to put him in multiple spots in multiple places. And I would love to be able to see the Cardinals either, hey, we're either going to keep Patrick Peterson at least, and when you're saying we don't have anyone else, I think that you've got the capability to essentially look at this 2021 year, say, hey, here's what we're going to do. We'll franchise tag Peterson so that way – even if he says, hey, I don't want to play in the tag, I don't want this, you'll be able to have that under control without having to, you know, rely on, say, a rookie corner to go up against the likes of DK Metcalf or sign another corner to a huge deal. And if that turns into the, the case, you can then trade him to another team, get back at least a, a pick, whether it's a second or something else. Um, and then be able to at least replace him in that regard. Because right now, I think he, he's played too well to be in the aspect of saying, hey, we just got to let him go. Like, it's it's done. It's over with. But he hasn't played well enough to the point where you can say, yes, we definitely need to uh, keep him. Uh, I think that will be something to watch as far as some of the guys like Bowsby for next year. And I, my hope, at least for the Cardinals, is they won't tie themselves to him long term. Because like you said, Walter, I still see enough of these type of issues and flaws and he is 30 years old yeah which is why i he hasn't played up to the level of a franchise tag either and um that would be i think a tease um for him thinking he'll get a you know contract in like the 13 14 million a year range which i don't think 
you know, he's going to get from anyone now. Um, you know, uh, I just, I think it's time to move on. I really do. I think that he's outpriced himself. Um, and what the ups and downs of the last two and a half years have really taken a toll. And I, I, I just don't know what to predict from him from game to game, what to see. Um, and, you know, he's a spiritual leader. He's, you know, he's great with the teammates and stuff. And, you know, he's, he's like the Larry on his side of the ball, cheering people up and stuff. And I love that. But, you know, there are aspects of his game that are so flawed and they really at times do cost the team. Um, and he's not as versatile as he once was. He won't go in and play the slot. He just won't. Um, he'll make that clear to the coaches. And so when you have a guy like Pocket and nobody else can cover him, Peterson doesn't want to cover him. So he doesn't give you that. If you want to franchise a corner, he's got to be able to – you got to be able to put him mm-hmm. on any player yeah. on the other team, and he'd be you know, excited to do it, like Stephon Gilmore. Gilmore would go in and play the slot any day of the week. Um, and he'll, he can defend from any angle or, you know, any player. Um, you know, I think that I, I'm not sure they'll ever start a rookie at that position, but there are some good free agents. Desmond King is going to be a free agent. Love to see the Cardinals grab him. He'd be a great fit, in my opinion. Brian Poole and, um, there are a number of others that I think would be really good fits. I'd love to see them, uh, you know, as a free agent is Sidney Jones um, from Washington. I, I still think he could be a hell of a corner given the right situation. And it could be here in, you know, you, you know, Husky South with Buddha and Byron and, and um, Zeke. You know, so, you know, th- there'll be other options. I, that's why I, I'm saying it. it's always been the excuse like, well, we don't have anyone else. It's mind boggling to me, Blake, that all this time that Kaiser GM, he's never addressed the cornerback two position. And I think that's in part because, because of Peterson. I, I don't know, you know, you know, Peterson just can take away half the field and this and that. And, you know, but, um, and we've got all this money tied into him. And I think it's really hurt the Cardinals continuity wise. And year after year, it's just a revolving door of, of um, older veterans and ill equipped younger players like Brennan Williams. Um, and it's just not worked out. And I think it's about time that, you know, they cash in on Byron Murphy. He belongs to be, he deserves to be a starting corner in the NFL. So cater, cater that spot to his strength. And then let's get, I think there's a guy on your own roster in Simmons who could be dynamic. I don't know if they'd ever go there, but I'd love it if they did. But then, like you said, you mentioned Bowsby. Maybe he's, you know, he's going to be a free agent. So, you know, maybe they like him and bring him back. And, um, you know, Robert Alford, you've got to move on from, obviously. But um, do you want to go through the, you know, for 
Menino, Murray, go through the. I have quick thoughts on the free agents if you want to go through them. I think it'll probably be good, though, to be able to look ahead and wrap up. I know the. Uh, I'm. Right now with the Cardinals, at least the big focus I think that we all are looking at is not necessarily the end of all of the uh, the season or looking at some of the needs for offseason. I, I think I agree with you in terms of the, if the Cardinals move on, they'll have to find a replacement for Peterson and how readily available that is versus you know the any type of cost control of a uh, franchise tag to say hey we got a shot to you know win this in 2021 bringing back a lot of the same players on defense and this is a guy who can shut down Metcalf and help us contend we'll have to see if that's going to be the direction the Cardinals choose or if Kime and the others look at Peterson and say yeah we can do better and move on will be I think one of the bigger stories of the off season uh, like you talked about how as far as a spiritual leader Buddha to me is the guy who's taken over as the superstar type of level as, and I think that as far as the spiritual leadership on the team, we've kind of seen this old Cardinals of this Chandler Jones and this Patrick Peterson, the David Johnson, and Larry Fitzgerald. Most of these guys have handed off the torch to a new player with Hopkins coming in and now Buda Baker being that guy in the secondary. Uh, Byron also looking like he's blossoming well. Uh, let's talk about the upcoming game with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, to me, most of this game comes down to the Cardinals being able to match up against a what looks to be very solid Dolphins defense when they've had both of their corners on the field versus a rookie quarterback who's not going to have Miles Gaskin for the game, who's got uh, kind of a, a decent, if not great, offensive line and some inconsistency in connecting with the likes of Preston Williams, but a pretty good threat in Devontae Parker. Uh, to me, this is not necessarily what I'd call a, a trap game. I, I do think, though, that this is a game that could get out of hand if the defense pops up and becomes much, much stronger uh, than the Cardinals' offense expects. Uh, I think the biggest thing overall is I don't see the Dolphins' offense being able to have the capability to keep up with the Cardinals' offense unless the Cardinals, you know, turn it over four or five times like we saw the Rams do with Jared Goff. And uh, to me, Walter, I saw a lot of that is the fact that Goff essentially was, once you took away the bootlegs and some of these kind of easy throws, he did not have the mobility to get away from the pass rush. And it looked like the Jared Goff we saw in the Super Bowl. I just have a feeling at least that the Cardinals with Kyler Murray and the fact that Cliff, you know, he got beaten up coming out of the bye last year. I think that they're not going to overlook the Dolphins in this regard coming out of the bye. Uh, well, the Dolphins have been beating up on the NFC West. I mean, they beat the, beat the Rams handily, even though their offense wasn't good um, or consistently moving the ball. Their defense dominated, um, like you said, um, until it got late in junk time. But um, they've got really good players across the board. I mean, Christian Wilkins, I love um, coming out of Clemson. Raquan Davis is a solid nose tackle. Emmanuel Ogba is uh, playing really well. The four linebackers are all solid, good athletes. And Jerome Baker is a banger. Dan Noy and Van Ginkel, the Dutchman, those guys are active on the edge. They're typical Patriots-type outside linebacker, Shaq Lawson. You know, they got talent, and then the, the – their shining lights are in a corner with Byron Jones and Damian Howard. Howard got beat a little bit in the Rams game. Um, didn't look as fast. I mean, I think he's nursing an injury. 
Jones looked dynamic as usual. Um, Eric Rowe at safety's tall and he covers tight ends. He's he's solid, although he's getting a little on in age. Bobby McLean is decent. I think you can beat them over the top, him over the top at times. Um, but that is a you know a very very good defense, um, and they're well coached. They're disciplined. I'm fascinated to see what the game plan they will have for Kyler. It will be vastly different from what they're doing with the Rams. Of course, with Kyler, they're not going to have to worry about bootlegs and waggles all day long. But I love the way they took away the Rams' bread and butter plays. And I kept thinking to myself, it was about time. I mean, I've been watching every Rams game this year, watching Jared Goff practically be able to drink coffee and, you know, look downfield all alone, you know, off a bootleg and wondering, are people even scouting these guys? I mean, how can they let – and they, you know, the, the TV crew put up a stat. He's like number one in the NFL and throwing on the run. Well, duh. I mean, he's had so many – I mean, now they try to seal off the edge so he can do it, but you have to know that's coming. And then so the adjustment the, the um, Dolphins made was that they played over the top on the field. And then the minute Goff would go opposite for play action, then they would rush from that side. So when he turned, there was a you know rusher in his face. And after that happened twice, they stopped running, the, stopped even calling the bootlegs, and made him made him try to beat them from the pocket, which he which he struggled to do. So, um, you know, I don't think their pass rush is particularly. You know, I don't think it's it's world class or anything. I think we'll have our offensive line will give Kyler time, and I'm kind of expecting they'll try to zone the Cardinals because they'll be worried about Murray taking off. So I think they'll be you know trying to zone us up, um, and I'm not convinced they're a very you know great zone team on. In the in the second level, Blake, in the in the on the back end, they are with the two corners. But although they roll the corners up at times and and cover with the safety over the top, but that's going to be an interesting, you know, um, competition with the Cardinals' offense versus their defense. On the flip side, you know, Tua Tua basically took what they gave him last game. He was he didn't have to press or anything, which is kind of a luxury for him in his first start. I mean, he looks the, the part. I mean, he's accurate. And the thing with him, you got to keep reminding yourself he's left-handed. And so his natural bootleg is to the left, which is why I prefer if we can keep Reddick on the left um, on that edge, because uh, we've got to pressure him. Um, we can't let him just sit there and make passes right the guy that worries me speed wise is Jakeem Grant um, and and of course their best receiver Devontae Parker um, Preston Williams solid but I'd be worried about Grant out of the slot mm-hmm. plus he's an excellent kick returner did you see his return his yep. touchdown yeah. return versus the Rams that was awesome uh, kid gets a couple of them here and he's a Texas Tech play. I've always been hoping that he'd wind, wind up back with Cliff, but uh, 
the Dolphins signed into a long-term deal. I think it was last year. Um, you know, but uh, they did. You know, their offensive line is. Oh yeah. Is pretty good, and they they put up good numbers. Surprisingly, I mean, Gasecki and Smythe and Shaheen, the tight ends, are all not great, but good. Um. I think we're catching a break, kind of the two is there. I I worry more about Fitzpatrick at this point and his, you know, his savvy veteran leadership. Um, Matt Breida, fast, um, as we know from the 49ers. We can't let him get five yards down the field making tackles. We got to come up and meet him at the line. Jordan Howard. But now they picked up DeAndre Washington, and I was hoping the Cardinals would get another Texas Tech guy. So I don't know if he'll – he probably will get some snaps in there. But, but got, as you said, Gaskin is out. So Cardinals defense comes to play. I mean, should be able to, I think, do a good job on this group, provided that, um, you know, they, they get in um, – to his passing lanes and they play sticky coverage on their guys. I mean, Parker can be a game breaker if he gets in a rhythm. Um, and uh, Williams is solid and Grant's got that speed. So I, I worry about them the most. And, the, you know, their running game is decent, but I don't know if, you know, if, if they're going to hurt us that much. But we'll see. I, I, I'm amazed that they score as many points as they do. So I'm not sure how they're doing it. Are you? Do you know? Have you watched enough of them? Yeah, from watching most of it, at least, is the Dolphins have been effective. Um, like they, they could have a shot at the outside uh, playoffs in the AFC, given how their defense is played. Health has been part of the issue. Uh, I think the other thing, at least, that you want to look at, too, is the veteran Fitzpatrick versus Tua is an interesting switch. Some are saying that because of the consistency of Tua, they're wondering if it's more of a Alex Smith to Kaepernick situation. But for what I've seen, at least, of Tua, his strengths, for the most part, are being able to be in rhythm, his deep passing accuracy. Um, but a lot of, like you said, with taking what the defense gives him, I think if the Cardinals are able to blitz him, get him off of his spot, force it where he's going to have to be able to, you know, read defenses and play quarterback, he's still ultimately at heart a rookie. And we saw a lot of drops from the Dolphins' pass catchers too. So uh, I don't want to kind of take it too much farther, but I, I think that the biggest thing, like you said, with the Cardinals is this is a game where you're playing at home, coming off of the bye, you'll get some time. I I'm glad that they're getting a quarterback like two and now versus a couple of games down the road or uh, even in a, a first start because sometimes you have no idea what a quarterback will – doing his first start if teams will come out with a more aggressive game plan so uh, as we kind of wrap up at least today that's uh, the thing i want to get a quick score prediction before you walter before i'll have to get going what is your score prediction for cardinals uh, or should i say dolphins cardinals you know i don't do predictions so i i you know i always joke if i was if i had to if someone made me I would predict against the Cardinals so that at least I'd win one way or the other, which is, you know, if they lose, I would win for the prediction. If they win, I always win because I'd be, have a great night's sleep and be very happy. So, um, 
Cardinals did not play well. So who do you think then would win? Who do you think? Yeah, as I say, who do you think would win the game then if you had to look at? It? I think it seems like we both are in agreement that this is at least not a game that Arizona like straight up will win. This is not a Jets type team. This is not a Cowboys without Dak Prescott type team that you're playing. But this is a game I feel like that they if they play well and protect the football, they should be able to handle them, right? Well, let me put it this way: um, it's the best I could do is the Cardinals are going to get punched in the mouth. I can tell you that right now. And there are going to be some mind games out mm-hmm. there. I mean, this is a well-coached and sort of salty team, the Dolphins. They're physical. And so the Cardinals have to match that and exceed it, in my opinion, to win. If they come out of the bye kind of soft as they were last year or anything close to that, I don't think they'll win the game. Uh, um, they'll get you know, they won't res- respond well to getting hit in the mouth. So that would be my, I mean, this is where this is a sneaky game. I mean, this is, these guys put a licking on the Rams. And in fact, even in, 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 um, you know, scrub time when the Rams still had their starting offense out there, every time Robert Woods or Cup or any of the, or Everett caught the ball, Bob boom. I mean, even when you didn't have to, hit them you know and they were even running out of bounds these guys were making a statement like you don't catch the ball again so you know they're physical and they could they get after it and they're no fluke i mean at four and three and they're and they beat the rams they beat the 49ers and they almost beat the, the seahawks they had them right down to the wire so this is their fourth nfc west game they're conditioned for playing in this division in fact, they played more NFC West games than we have, which is interestingly enough. Interesting enough. So we have to come ready. We have to really be ready for this one. Like, and you know, very what? true. Very true. I'm going to leave this. You know, rather than sound negative about it, I actually think we we will be ready this this year because you know they, they. I think the players, from what I heard. In, heard a lot of them Corey Peters said a lot of them were were coming in and working out with each other and on their own um during the bye week they made a conscious effort to keep football on their minds this this time I think they know they're pretty excited about what's going on and here's the here's the last thing is I think because of the youth on this team that's kind of pushing the veterans to step up I think there's an energy there now where I think everyone's sort of on alert that, you know, I don't want to be the next guy who goes out and then finds out some young whippersnappers in there playing great. So I think that is an element that, uh, <laughs> for sure. Team. What do you think? I, I think this is, like you said, I think it'll be a close game. I think that, like you said, the mentality of this Cardinals team, you'd be afraid of normally that there would be a letdown. I don't think that Kyler Murray and the mentality that he brings is going to let this team down. And I think that Vance has gotten the defense in a bit of a different spot where I do think that, not that they're going to look at this game and lick their chops, but I think, like you said, it'll be a closer game that goes through. I think I'd expect the leadership of Kyler to be able to help Um carry them so long as they can avoid a game like the Lions where they turn it over uh, multiple times. It's going to come down to uh, being able to be responsible, utilizing some of the talent that they 
uh, have and utilizing his legs, which Jared Goff and the Rams were not able to do last week, despite the fact that they ran the ball uh, pretty well overall. And that'll wrap it up for us on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Spotify, and other places, as well as revengeofthebirds.com. You can follow uh, John, our co-host who had to leave earlier, at Johnny Venerable, or I should say at John Venerable on Twitter. And uh, Walter, where can our listeners find you and your content? WBJ Mitch. Um at WBJ Mitch on Twitter and uh, of course at revengeofthebirds.com. Thank you, Blake, as always, for having me on. And uh, my best wishes to all the bird gangers out there. Uh, go cards.